conversation. As I'm, re I'm a guest at your house, and we're reflecting, we're talking. I'm 70, and you're a contemporary of mine, shall I say. 63. Are you? Well, Lowell and Stewart. 63 and a half. 63 and a half. Right. I count them by the day now. Oh, no. <laughs> you can still count them by the year. And if I say to you, World War II, what's the first, the very first thought right off the head that you have? It's negative. Negative? Yes. It, it's a negative thing. World War II is, is not a pleasant experience. Uh, it's anti everything I stand for. Uh, what else could I say? I could go into detail for a right. couple hours or days a week. I think maybe why it is, why you feel it. We should point out, by the way, that Mr. Stewart lives in, in Los Angeles. That is an area that's very beautiful indeed, somewhere in Los Angeles, and there are private homes and trees, and uh, it's a graciously appointed house. It's and called Lafayette Square. Lafayette Square. Why, why is it? Perhaps now we begin with yourself, how it all began, and it'll lead up to what you just said. Well, uh, it was a very revealing and frustrating time of my life. I was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I'd never been south. I had not too much experience with discrimination. Uh, I went to integrated schools and uh, the first time that I started in life uh, as manhood, uh, things were frustrating. When I left school to sign up for the Air Force, uh, I, was, I was going to school in Santa Barbara, and uh, the first frustrating thing was I found I couldn't go to the service with my contemporary friends at Santa Barbara. Incidentally, I was the only black on the basketball team at that time. Uh, and we had sort of decided among ourselves that we'd all go into the Air Force, and which most of them did. And when I went down to sign up for the Air Force, they didn't know what to do with me, just told me they couldn't send me to the Air Force. And. Uh, Ten months later, uh, I was finally called when they finally decided what they could do with me. Then I was sent to Tuskegee, all segregated base, and deep in the heart of Alabama, which was another frustrating thing for me to face the bigotry and discrimination in South at that time in reality. We're talking about 43 around there. 42. 42. Uh, the summer of 42 is when I went to Alabama. And I went through the training phase, graduated, uh, and had various brushes with uh, the bigotry and the discrimination in Alabama, such as 
my wife trying to buy a hat in the store and I tell her if you put it on you have bought it you couldn't try on anything you had to eat in separate quarters you had to live in segregated places and even on the base and training uh, the whites ate separated from the blacks uh, so it was sort of ridiculous in my mind and yet that was so-called law of the land at the time uh, I ran into again uh, when I went overseas uh, we were actually fighting a war an active shooting war and the American soldiers were rather antagonistic when the black soldiers dated the white girls. Uh, that I could understand. It was very plain. Then one day I was assigned temporary duty to North Africa and uh, the white soldiers in North Africa were antagonistic to black soldiers dating black girls in North Africa. Mm. Uh, this got kind of fuzzy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I could understand white boys not wanting white <coughs> black boys dating their white girls, but it just didn't seem to gel that these white boys in North Africa didn't want the black boys dating the black girls that they were dating. So it got kind of fuzzy and uh, such things as during the war we took short terms of rest and rehabilitation maybe for a week from the rigors of flying combat missions and the Isle of Capri which was the rest camp for the area was uh, not was off limits to the black pilots hmm. then uh, to counteract that we had a few confrontations at the local USO and now this is in the war theater hmm. and uh, so as a result of that uh, somebody got us a private rest camp so we had our own completely equipped segregated rest camp just for the 332nd fighter group which was in Naples Italy uh, these things all mount up one on another uh, incidentally I was sort of primed when I got into the service because uh, on the basketball team I played with was a contender for the national championship mm -hmm. and I was the only black on the team and the finals were held in uh, Kansas City Missouri and they didn't permit blacks to participate so I wasn't allowed to play City. yes sir so I wasn't allowed to play and uh, the team played nevertheless without me I was there watching but I wasn't allowed to play so I was pretty bitter at the time anyway and such things as that uh, 
I guess it's growing up and realizing uh, what type of world you're living in, and this is why World War II doesn't uh, read uh, popular things in my mind. Doesn't set your heart afire. No. Uh, you know, it's called the war against fascism, you know, the war against racism is what they called it, the Shining Call back then. Well, you find that kind of funny. Yeah, I don't think they were doing much fighting against racism. They were fighting fascism. But they were letting racism run rampant. So there were many instances, and I'm not the only one that uh, experienced it. Uh, as I reviewed the history of the formation of the 332nd, I found it. Uh, uh, was steeped in discrimination all the back way to the times when they first decided about establishing a separate black air force. President uh, Truman, who was a senator at that time, was very instrumental in uh, getting the permission to establish a training field and in the South. And the reason it was put in the South was, uh, one, the climate was better for flying. There was a lot more open spaces. And uh, as one of the soldiers or fellows in charge of this uh, endeavor said that uh, well, if it doesn't work out, it'll be down south and nobody will see them mm. fail anyway. Mm. So the whole thing was set up with the idea that uh, blacks could not fly an airplane. And uh, on that basis, they just thought, well, we'll give them a chance. Uh, if they succeed, I guess it won't hurt anything. But if they fail, they'll be down south, be out in the country, and nobody will know about it, and they'll hush it up. But it was complete opposite. It was a, a tremendous uh, success beyond their wildest dreams. So they had established quotas. They were getting so many volunteers for the Air Force and qualified young men that uh, they had to limit the size of the classes in the beginning. and. Uh, their intention was to form the 99th Fighter Squadron, and consequently they had so many pilots graduating, in spite of Washington washing the pilots out of flying school for ridiculous reasons, uh, such as not wearing your hat on straight or not saying yes sir to one of the instructors and get washed out because of attitude. Uh, not flying ability, which reminds me of uh, one particular fellow that uh, washed out in advanced training as a pilot and hired two weeks later as a flying instructor mm. at the same place. Yeah. He was good yeah. enough to teach, but yeah. but washed out in training. What was the phrase they used about blacks not being able to fly? And they have a phrase. I don't recall no. a, a phrase, do you? He's lost in his story about when he went down there and 
tried to enlist along with some of his white contemporaries and uh, this major there recruiting place told him, well, what are you doing here, boys? We don't need, the airport doesn't, airport doesn't need any black night fighters, any night fighters. Hmm. I think that's possibly what's making me talk. Yeah. yeah, well, you see, there's so, so many stories like yeah. that that... Uh, but the belief that a black could not... Oh, come, oh, join us, Colonel Glenn. Well, do you know that? Sure. I would join now by Colonel G L Y double N. No, G L E E D. Oh, Glad, Glad. Oh, G G L O double E D. Colonel Gleed. What's your first name, Colonel? Edward. Ed. Colonel Edward Gleed. You were you were were you in the same division company as Mr. My leader. Oh, you were. You were operations officer. You were you were of the what what was the group called again? The three three thirty second fighter group. 332nd Fighter Group. It was all black. Yeah. 336nd. And you were the leader of that group. No. Uh, no. Second in command. Second in command. And you became what? Uh, lieutenant? Uh, what, uh, I was eventually a major. I was, you were major. I was a flight leader. And what Mr. Stewart's talking about, no doubt, evokes memories to you, doesn't it? Yes, we all went through it. Yeah. We all went through it. You, I saw you raise your eyebrows about Kansas City, Missouri. Yeah. I'm from Kansas, mm -hmm. and uh, normally you consider Kansas above the Mason-Dixon line. Mm -hmm. But uh, I even experienced, through my high school days and also the college there at Kansas University in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, primarily in the high school, and uh, we couldn't uh, play on the athletic teams. And they went to such extents that they set up a separate basketball mm -hmm. team that played other schools in and around Kansas and Kansas City, Missouri that were black. And that's the only way we got into the athletics. I went to the University of Kansas. The athletic director there was Fog Allen. You've probably heard of him past years. And uh, we tried and tried to go out for teams there. And he said, well, finally he said, well, you can come out, but you ain't going to play. Uh, we couldn't go in to use the swimming pool at Kansas University. So I was somewhat indoctrinated in, in this business, too. We had to sit upstairs in the movie theater when we went to the movies. So you, as a young man, and uh, Mr. Stewart, as a young man, before World War II, had a pretty fair idea. So that's, that's uh, you know, it did not come as a shock to you. Well, I guess I was more exposed to it than Lowell had been, because I had been down to Tuskegee, instant, incidentally, because my mother taught down there. And I couldn't take it or I should say my brother couldn't take it, and I went along with the program, and they, she shipped us back to Denver, Colorado, where we were living with our aunts because of an you know, all-black situation I'd never been used to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's keep this open, free. I mean, so whenever either of you feels like saying something, interjecting, feel free to do so. I just, it, that's why I like to do it. You were talking about, if we could be perhaps even incidents and details, you, you, in, in Tuskegee, well, first of all, Mr. Stewart, you said something about a black, they were thinking of a black Air Force? You mean one wholly separated from whites? Well, it started out as a wholly separate squadron. There was a lot of pressure, political pressure, to get blacks into the frontline activity of conducting the war. And uh, the pressure was to get blacks into the Air Corps. And so uh, there was much political 
discussion and uh, pressure from the NAACP and the Pittsburgh Courier, the Black Press, and the Chicago Defender. Defender, and uh, some of the civilian flyers who were trained around Tus uh, Chicago. What was the name of that school? Coffee? Coffee. 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 Uh, you know, uh, flying you know, school in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of the frustration, uh, the humiliation, because when you first became flyers or Trinity flyers, the feeling obviously was, you guys can't fly. I mean, wasn't that the idea? Well, this was certainly the idea. See, this was developed. The War Department had this attitude that the uh, well, such ridiculous things as a, as a study that was made way back in 1925 which generally governed the thinking of the people all following the mid, mid between War I and II. Yeah. And they had the idea, and the, this definitely established idea, that uh, the black was inferior. He had a smaller brain than the white man, uh, that he, he couldn't socialize with whites. In other words, that was the thinking of the top brass.